0: Praise the Lord that in our weakness, God is strong, so strong. If you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter, the letter that Peter wrote to the churches and to the believers scattered throughout Asia Minor. This morning I'd like to begin a study in 1 Peter. It's a book for um, over a year I have been off and on studying in. And preparing for this time, and I'm excited to dive into it with all of you. It's a fascinating book, and it is a very relevant book. So often we look to the scriptures and we read it. Then we look around in our own world, and there's often a disconnect. And this ought not to be. I've been challenged recently in the book of James, where the question is asked doth the scripture say in vain? And begun to ask myself that question more and more as I read different passages and different things in God's word. To ask myself, doth the scripture say in vain? And we know that's a rhetorical question and the answer is, of course, it's not in vain. If it's in God's word and he recorded it, it was for a very specific and important reason and is very relevant to each and to every one of us. First Peter is a fascinating letter. There's some debate as to when exactly it was written. I'm actually curious amongst all of us here, um, what dates your Bibles may identify. If you want to look at this page here, 1 Peter, typically up at the top or on the bottom of the page, you might have notated when this was written. I'm curious of those of you right now who have a study Bible, is there a date given? Is your Bible, does it have a date? How many of you have the date 8095? 8095. How many of you have the day 8095? How about 8094? 80, 8093. 8092. 8091. Am I going the wrong direction? 8096. Okay, give me some numbers. 60? 60, 63. What are the numbers? 60 to 64. All right, so you can see it's a a debate as to when precisely um, this letter was written. Um, But we do know that it was in the 60s. For a long time, I've looked at it as in the earlier 60s. Um, My Bible actually is listed here circa Again, we don't know exactly when. But I'd like for us to just quickly see this letter in the timeline of history, in the timeline of Acts. If we could get this put up here on the screen. So in the timeline, it's paralleled together with the history of Acts. Now, I'll give you a heads up. It's actually written after the book of Acts concludes, but in just summary, as we lead into these events, we shall do that. Looking here at the first part of our timeline, we see the early apostolic ministry. It's bright in here this morning. All that snow is bouncing up on my screen. Can you all see that? Well, we'll do our best to go through this here. The red line over here is the ministry of Christ. The ministry of Christ his crucifixion and resurrection. Then we have Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers there in Jerusalem and began the church age. Very short time later, we have the martyrdom of Stephen, the ministry of Philip as recorded in Acts chapter 9 and 10, or Acts chapter 8, and then the conversion of Paul in Acts chapter 9. Paul then is in Damascus and then Arabia. Galatians tells us he was away for three years. And then he goes and he visits Jerusalem. Then he's in a period of time he is in Tarshish. And it tells us that it was 14 years in Galatians. And so if we look through this, we have then the martyrdom of James. So we have the martyrdom of Stephen happening very early. And then the martyrdom of James. And it's a persecution that began predominantly with Jewish people. Now, why am I taking a pause here in the timeline to talk about persecution? The reason is, is that 1 Peter, you might say, is the textbook on persecution. The believer's textbook of how to respond to and handle persecution. It's filled with so much, and we'll get to that a little bit later. We had Stephen, who was martyred very early, a persecution began in Jerusalem. It forced the church, and some have said that it took persecution to force the church to scatter. Um, I think they stretched that maybe a little too far, but nonetheless, simultaneously, the church began to scatter, and as they scattered, they were accomplishing the Great Commission. They were going forth and following Christ's commands to preach the gospel to every creature, and so the gospel began to spread. In the time of Peter, God actually used Peter to specifically communicate to the predominantly Jewish church that the gospel was not just for the Jews, but was also for the Gentiles. But they began to scatter. And when the martyrdom of James took place, this was one of the first that was sanctioned by one of the civil authorities at the time. One of the civil authorities. For the most part, and as we continue on through this part, you'll see that Rome especially and those civil authorities connected with Rome were very favorable towards the Christian church. But there was a lot of persecution in those early years and continued for actually hundreds of years. So just in flying through um, the ministry of Paul and coming to 8047 we have Paul's first missionary journey at which time shortly thereafter it's believed that he wrote the book of Galatians the holy spirit inspired Paul to write the book of Galatians so i'll give you a little bit of a heads up Galatians is one of the very first letters that was written in the new testament first and second peter are one of some of the very last letters written in the New Testament next to um, Revelation. And so, we see Galatians here, very early, AD 49, following what's called the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. Then we have Paul's second missionary journey, where a majority of it was spent at Corinth. His third missionary journey, where much of it was spent at Ephesus and Corinth. In these times, he wrote 1 and 2 Thessalonians, First and 2 Corinthians, and Romans. He's longing to get back to Jerusalem. He gets back to Jerusalem, and that is where he is arrested. And you remember that if it were not for the Roman authorities, Paul would have been ripped apart by the Jews that day in Jerusalem. In fact, it was the powers that be, the dreaded, horrific Roman Empire that saved Paul's life that day, or may I say God used them to save his life that day, when he was arrested, and subsequently he appealed to Caesar. He was imprisoned in Caesarea for three years, when he was then sent to Rome to Caesar. There he was put under house arrest when he wrote Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians. And that's where the book of Acts ends. But we know from other details that Paul was released. He went on other travels later in his life, where he wrote um, 1 Timothy, Titus, and then um, at the, shortly there before 80, 90, 80, 65, he wrote 2 Timothy. And here you see 1 and 2 Peter. Now, here it's kind of where is it in these last few years? As I've done some study, this is my original timeline, so I wanted to put up here the timeline you've been, I've shown you many, many, many times before, but I'm in the mo- process of moving it more like this. First and Second Peter coming very much late. And the reason of bumping it just those few years has much to do with what was going on in the secular world around the writing of this letter. And the and the, and the relevance of it to that world. Now, looking at it with these letters back over here, it also carries some significance. We know the letter was written in the 60s, okay? We know it was written in the 60s. I don't mean 1960s, I mean the 60s just straight up, 80s, 60s. And um, it's written in that time. And whether it was written early or later, both perspectives carry significance considering the fact that this. Letter is a handbook on persecution. Now what's fascinating about it and this may help you I hope I hope you write in your bible notes to help you remember and learn things. There is a very important date that you need to know about. It is July 19th AD 64. July 19th AD 64. Now, what's so special or important or significant about that date? Does anybody know offhand? That day is the day Rome burned. Now you say, why is that significant? The burning of Rome is a major event in secular history. That turned the world upside down for Christians in the entire Roman Empire. Because it was then that Nero, the emperor of Rome, declared that it was the Christians who had started the fires and kept them burning. The reason he blamed the Christians is because everyone knew he did it or ordered it to be done. And he was the one that even when it was being put out, ordered those to stop them and to hinder those who were trying to extinguish the fire. He wanted to rebuild Rome his way. Amongst a lot of other very selfish and power hungry. And um, he was a pretty crazy guy. But July 19th, AD 64, Rome caught fire and burned for several days. And the Christians were blamed. At the same time that the Christians were blamed, Christianity was declared throughout the entire Roman Empire to be illegal. It was illegal at that point to be a Christian. Now, up to this point in history, Christianity had been viewed by the Romans as a Jewish cult. And Judaism, for the most part, although Jews were a thorn in Rome's side from the beginning, Judaism, their religion, had been considered a peaceful religion. And to the Romans as polytheists, those who have many gods, They were fine with tolerating yet another god, the god of the Jews, into their pantheon. Uh, It wasn't acceptable to the Jews, but it was acceptable to the Romans. And considering the fact that for the most part, the Jews actually kept to themselves. In fact, as they were scattered throughout the world, Jews were isolated. Rome tolerated them. In fact, Judaism was officially considered a legal and recognized religion. And so, when Christianity was spreading about throughout these 30 years and Roman officials were interacting with Christians, they viewed it and considered it very much the same as Judaism. In fact, they were very confused. In fact, as you see Paul interacting with different Roman officials, you'll see him trying to make distinctions of how Judaism and the way that it was being practiced in that day was now different than Christianity. Though we know they're connected, Christianity is distinctly different than Judaism. It's much better. And this wasn't real clear to a lot of the Romans and Roman officials. But in AD 64, it became very clear across the entire Roman Empire. Oh my, that's bad. Is that my issue or one of your guys' issues? Yeah, the Roman Empire was shaking, shaking at the very thought of, of, um, of Christianity. Right? Let's try this again. You guys can work on this, please. I'll keep going. The Roman Empire was vast. It was big. Now it's up there, okay? And here you can see the different color coding is showing how the Roman Empire and what years is spread and how it spread and so forth. We're really coming here to one of the greatest extents of the Roman Empire and its greatest power. And so now in this entire region, pretty much everything you see here on this map, after the fire at Rome is now Christianity Is illegal. It's against the law. And it resulted in a horrific persecution of Christians across the world. And so now, when we consider the date, whether or not 1 Peter was written right after this persecution, and there might be some significance in the fact that it happened before. This major event, meaning God knew this major event was coming. God inspired Peter to write this book, preparing them for what was to come. But either way you look at it, it's coming within a few years of major persecution worldwide. Connecting to the Roman Empire. And Paul wrote it. So if we look here at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. Did I say Paul wrote it? Peter wrote it. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Who was Peter? You remember him? I've really struggled whether or not we should take and just pause in the book and spend a few weeks and go back and thoroughly review the life of Peter. I'm undecided still whether or not we're going to do that because it's valuable. We're going to have to go back many times into the life of Peter because it will help us to understand certain aspects that we find here in this letter. Peter was a fisherman. Peter was one that Jesus called to be his disciple. Peter was the outspoken one. He was the one who said it the way it was. Peter was a man who was perceived by many to be ignorant, which is the reason why there's a lot of debate as to the legitimacy of this letter. Many argue that this is a letter that ought to be included in the Bible, but Peter couldn't have written that. Well, let me give you a very simple answer to that. Questions of apologetics. On this point here. If Peter didn't write it, then the book is a fraud because it says Peter wrote it. Many, many times in some of these issues of higher criticism, there's a lot of debates that are answered very simply by just reading the very first verse. And if Peter didn't write it, then the book's a fraud. It has no value, it would be a complete fraud. And so it's important to recognize here that when it says Peter wrote it, Peter wrote it. Now, there are some challenges and struggles with that. How did a fisherman write this kind of Greek? Many people look at Greek, and and when we study Greek, we typically start in 1 John. And they call it baby Greek because the Greek that's used in 1 John is very simple Greek. The Greek used by Peter is very, very advanced. And there's two different opinions about why it's advanced. One is because he was so ignorant, he didn't know how to use the language. Um, which doesn't make sense with the Holy Spirit would let that happen. Um, so I kind of throw that one out. And um, one of the other reasons why they feel that it's advanced is that Peter had many um, helpers that helped him. In fact, some of the people mentioned in this book, we got the first guy mentioned in the first word of the book is Peter. But if you jump to the end of the book, we find out that this letter here is given to them in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 12. It says this, By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, As I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. Paul is speaking of Silvanus. And if you look at this, and we're going to come back and study this some more but as we get to that point in the book, but it's very likely that Silvanus, who is the same Silas who traveled with Paul in his missionary journeys is one who is with Peter at this time. We know he's with him. And he was a Greek. And he would have been able to very aptly assist and help Peter in writing this letter, whether he was one who helped to transcribe it, whether he's one who was participating. But it's very fascinating at how this recognition is made that this is written by Sylvanus, and he's, he's written briefly. Now, some have said, well, the letter is a brief letter when you compare it, you know, to Romans or 1 Corinthians. And it is a brief letter, but it's also very likely that what was actually written in Peter's very own hand was just these last few verses here at the very end. And that Peter, right next to Sylvanus, had, where Sylvanus was the guy who primarily was the. The penmanship guy, you might say, and also potentially the language editor expert that helped him through this. And so we have Peter and Silas, Sylvanus. And um, just we'll come back to this later on, but we've got Marcus here. We've got Marcus here. Um, you'll see Marcus, and he refers to him as his son. This is the Marcus who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And bringing in the pieces together, The Gospel of Mark has a lot of details and fascinating information tying to Peter. And many believe in studying the Gospel of Mark, that Mark, also known as John Mark, had very closely associated himself with Peter. And a lot of the details that John Mark himself had not witnessed in person, he would have gotten not only through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but in communion and fellowship with Peter. And so there's a sense in which we've got these three guys who are all being used of God in bringing to us 1 Peter as well as the Gospel of Mark. And so we've got these, this team of Peter and Silas and John Mark. But that's not all. I'm, I'm going I'm to jump a little bit ahead. We've got the Trinity We've got God in his triunity. For in verse 2, which we don't have time to go into this morning, it says, elect these are these, these strangers scattered, are elect according to the foreknowledge of God our Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, grace, mul- grace unto you and peace be multitude, be multiplied. Here we have Paul with Silas, with John Mark, writing this letter to believers who are scattered across Asia Minor. And its greeting comes first and foremost with God. God is the one who inspired Peter in the writing of this letter. I've referred to it a few times as the, the manual or the handbook for the persecuted church. If we would come back to um, our Roman Empire here, we see it scattered around, and we see the specific naming of places. Well, where is that? You'll see here, it's in this region here. It's in this region here. So you got that? We've got Italy over there, and Greece, and Turkey. These cities, and again, if you write in your Bible... Right? Turkey. Because really, I shouldn't say cities, these, these regions, these provinces are in modern day Turkey. And so if we zoom into this area here, we can see these particular regions. See, down at the very bottom right-hand corner, the little bit of pink you see right there, that's Judah or Judea. That's where the church began. And notice here, this letter is written to strangers scattered throughout. They are strangers who have scattered throughout this whole region. And if we zoom in a little bit more here, I'd like to just show you on these and point them out as they're in the order of the text. So I'll read it in the text, and you watch on the screen as it comes in. He's writing this letter to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus. Now you'll see two regions there blinking. Because Pontus wasn't its own little province region. It was really encompassed two other provinces on the bottom of the Black Sea there. So it was that region there that was along the Black Sea. There's Pontus. And then Galatia. Galatia is this whole region, the orange region. Galatia. You might remember the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians was written to churches in this Region Galatia. So this letter is written to Pontus and Galatia. And then Cappadocia. This is the region here in green. Cappadocia. And then Asia. Now when we think of Asia today, we think of the seven continents, don't we? Well, when we read about Asia in our Bible, it's not talking about Asia, the continent. It's talking about what we refer to technically as Asia Minor. Here you can see it's the pink region. The famous cities in here are the seven churches of Asia that that the letters of Christ in Revelation are recorded or sent to are in this region. The most famous city in this region is Ephesus. So the Asia referred to here is the pink space that you see here on the screen. And then it says Bithynia, which is that blue part up at the region at the top, along with Pontus. And so you see here, these, this is the region that um, Peter has written this letter. This is the region. So it's basically um, Turkey. This is Turkey, modern-day Turkey. But it, though it's written specifically to these believers, it is important to recognize that it has relevance to the entire Roman world of that day as well as relevance to our modern world today. It's a very relevant book. But let's go back for a moment as we consider this book. We know a little bit about Peter. He was a disciple of Jesus. Then he was an apostle of Jesus. Why might Paul, do you think, be writing to those particular churches in that particular region? Well, if we were to go back to Acts chapter 2, we would find that on the day of Pentecost, Peter and the other apostles were speaking in tongues. Remember that? They were speaking in tongues. They were speaking in languages that they had never studied or learned before but they were speaking in these languages and the people were hearing the wonderful works of God. And they were confounded and they were amazed and they marveled. And it tells us that there were those who heard in their own language in Acts chapter 2 and verse 9, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt, in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, they said, We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. They were all amazed, but some were in doubt, others Mocked, And it was in this context, you remember, at the very beginning of the church, that it was Peter who stood up and proclaimed the gospel. We're out of time today to go in to read the sermon. But it's a relevant introduction to his later book. Peter presents to them... And he makes the wonderful invitation and declaration that whosoever, in verse 21, shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And whosoever meant everyone. Even though for the most part here we were looking at Jewish proselytes. But they weren't all Jewish proselytes. But most of them were. And so those Jewish proselytes have scattered. So is Paul writing to just the Jewish proselytes that are now Christians that have scattered? Don't think so. There's many occasions where he talks in the letter and, he's, and he is actually spends much more time dealing with themes that are connected to Gentiles rather than to Jews, which is a contrast to James because James spends a lot of time dealing with Jewish themes. Peter doesn't. Peter is dealing with, it appears, more predominantly Gentiles. Now, there is another piece or background that you need to have before we dive into 1 Peter. And you might write this too in your Bible. It's a reference. Write this here at the beginning of 1 Peter to give some history for you. It is Luke 22, verse 32. Write it there and then turn there with me. Luke 22, 32. It is just before Jesus is betrayed. Peter is convinced that he would never deny the Lord. He would never turn the back on the Lord. And he's very blunt and bold in declaring his love and fidelity for Jesus. And Jesus turns to him in Luke chapter 22 verse 31 and says, The Lord said, Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Wow, that's a big deal. Peter's being told by Jesus that Satan wants him. Satan wants him to just be able to sift him and have power over him like a man would have over wheat. Good thing Jesus didn't stop there. He says, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. You see what's going on here is that Jesus knows That within 24 hours, Peter is going to deny him three times. And there is going to be a great spiritual battle in the heart and life of Peter. Is he going to stand for what's right or is he going to be afraid of the terrors of men? Is he going to be afraid of the persecution or getting caught up with this Jesus? Well, you know the account, I imagine. I hate presuming that because I know some of you don't know it. Peter did deny Jesus. But after the cocked crow, after denying him three times, Peter was, as Jesus used the word converted, he was turned about. He knew what he did was wrong. And it was 40 days later that Pentecost took place. And it was then on that day of Pentecost that he went forth strengthening his brother. And what better man for the job to write a handbook on suffering and how to respond to persecution than the man who at one time said, yay, Lord, we've got two swords. And when you're in the garden, he uses one of those swords. And what's he do? He chops the head off of one of the high priest servants. Oh, that's what he wanted to do. The high priest servant saw it coming and did this and he only got his ear. What better guy to write a book, a manual, about responding to persecution, right? You see why knowing Peter's background is going to make us make a difference as to how we perceive and understand this book? This man who's converted, this man who is turned about, this man who's, I'm going to fight for you, Jesus, I'm going to fight for you, and he even does. Within, 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 within hours of trying to chop a guy's head off for Jesus, He says, I don't even know him. I know not the man. He denies him. There's a great spiritual battle going on there. And this whole concept and threat of persecution here, the the start of it and the persecution of our Lord, Jesus. He's bold and courageous. That night, he ends weeping. Praise the Lord that Jesus prayed for him that his faith fail not. Because it didn't fail. It did fail, but it didn't fail. In fact, verse 33, and Jesus and Peter said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell thee, Peter, The cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. But he's prayed for him, that his faith faint not, and that when he's converted, knowing, Jesus knows he's going to deny him. He knows it. He says, strengthen thy brethren. Fast forward. 30, 35 years, and he's strengthening his brethren, writing first Peter. Now, let me tell you what's going on. I'd like for you to a moment to move yourself back in time. It's AD 65. News has spread throughout the entire Roman Empire that you, Christians, are despicable people. You sacrifice children and you drink their blood. That's the rumor spread about you. You are a people who set Rome on fire. You're a people who keep looking for someone to come in the clouds and in the sky in flaming fire. Who wants anything to do with you Christians? Christianity is illegal. This meeting is in secret. Not only are you hunted and persecuted by the Jews, not only are you hunted and persecuted by the pagan people who despise you because you have turned from the false idols and gods and totally undermined their silver craft. You're hated and despised. And not only now do you have to deal with those Jews and those silversmiths, and those selfish, selfish, godless, petty rulers. Now the weight of the entire Roman Empire is against you. Have you heard the rumors? You know what Nero is doing with Christians? Those Christians who burned Rome, supposedly? A big why but believed across the Roman Empire. He takes Christians. He puts them on crosses. He covers them with tar. And then he puts them in his garden and burns them alive, lighting up his gardens. This is Nero. This is the emperor. He takes Christians And he takes the skins of dead animals and he wraps them of of freshly skins of dead animals and wraps them around Christians, lets them loose in his garden and then lets the dogs loose and the dogs tear the Christians to pieces and they smell the blood of the dead animal. These are the kinds of persecutions that are taking place in Rome. Rome. And the news is spreading. The news is coming to your ears, your hearing of these fiery trials. There's evidence, I don't have time to go into all of them this morning, that there were great persecutions even taking place here in Asia Minor, this region at this time. And here, imagine with me, you have perhaps had loved ones who have been massacred. You have heard these rumors coming from the capital of the empire, Rome. And one day, Silvanus comes to town. Silas comes to town. And he's carrying with him this letter. And we've gathered together in fear, knowing not what might interrupt our meeting, Sylvanus stands up and he reads, Follow with me. Taking that perspective, that scene, that scenario, and putting yourself into that historical context. Let's read this letter as Sylvanus would have read it to them. Peter, apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia. Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Those aren't strange foreign names on a map. That's your home. And he's referring to you as a stranger. Do you feel like a stranger in this land? A land where Christianity is illegal and against the law. The word is translated over in chapter 2, verse 11, as pilgrims. He's telling you right at the beginning, dearly beloved, you don't belong here. This isn't your home. Don't get comfortable. You're strangers. But not only strangers, in this world, you're strangers. As soon as he identifies them as strangers, look how he changes. Elect. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, Unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Remember where you're at. You're illegal, you're being hunted, you're being persecuted. Peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them which have preached the gospel, unto you with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That is way of life. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. This isn't dreadful fear, but this is fear of God, knowing that God's the righteous judge of all. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, what was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. Picture the persecutors. Flesh. All their glory is as grass and the flower of grass. The grass withereth. And the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes. Desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. To whom coming as into a living stone disallowed indeed of men. But chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. an holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. Having your conversation, way of life, honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Remember the speak evil of you as evildoers? Remember the, you kill children and drink their blood? That's the rumor going around. Have your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. For the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme. Can I pause a moment here? Are you all back in Cappadocia as Christians in AD 65 hearing this letter for the first time? Did you read in the newspaper this morning about what your king supreme is doing in Rome? We're not talking about some mild little harassment here. We're talking about Nero, the guy who's declared Christianity illegal. I imagine when Sylvanus or the pastors of those churches read this, there may have been a gasp. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. But wait a minute, they're not doing that. Well, we don't have time to preach through this, I'll just read it. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. With well-doing. As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the forward. That word means cruel. For this is thankworthy. Thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. That ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye he were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation, way of life, coupled with fear. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair and the wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. but Let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love his brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but counterize, blessing, knowing that ye are there unto called that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you, if ye be followers of that which is good? We don't read that in 2021 with much meaning. Put yourself again back in 80, 64, 65. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing." For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while well, the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, wherein even baptism, doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of the good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. I have to point this out. Look back at verse 13 again. And who is he that will harm you? Now look at verse 22. Jesus, who has gone into heaven, is the right hand of God. And anyone you might have thought might harm you, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Huh? Nero is subject to God? To Jesus? For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for thee that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is God, that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For for this cause was the gospel preached unto them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On your part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's business or matters. Yet, If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved... Where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well doing, as unto a faithful Creator. To the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall Peer, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you, be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. That he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanus, a faithful brethren, to you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. The church that is at Babylon, elect together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. Greet ye one another with the kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now I wonder what was taking place in that room that day when this letter was read at Ephesus or in Laodicea or in any of the churches there in Asia Minor. The rumors of persecution, the threat of persecution... The enduring of persecution. And this letter comes. Do you think it changed people's perspective? Does it change yours? We're not meeting in secret. Oh, we hear rumors of persecution. I don't want to belittle it. I believe persecution is destined in America. We see so much sign of it. But be careful sensationalizing the rumors. Spend time here. Preparing yourself in humility for that day when it comes. To bring a relevancy to this, remember the Chapter 3, verse 22, angels, authorities, powers being made subject unto him. That's a key verse for us. May I get political for a moment? Go back to 2016, presidential candidate Donald Trump said this I'm going to make Christians powerful again. I read that and I said, Oh, no, thank you, sir. I don't want your power. I had some conversations with some people and they really took issue with me. And they said, that's not what he meant. He didn't mean that he was going to be like the Holy Spirit to us. He's just saying that he's going to remove the things that have continually been a problem to Christians. He's going to restore some things. And so I said, okay. I see your point. I'll, I'll, I'll tone down on my criticisms. But in the last few months... I'm concerned that there are a lot of Christians who did look to him for the power. Beware how you talk about that. Beware how you look for power and what you're looking for. Joe Biden's nothing like Nero. Donald Trump was nothing like Nero either. And I don't want to linger or make too big of an issue out of it, but I want you to remember this truth and relevancy. Chapter 3, verse 22 Jesus has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. I'm thankful for many things in a Christian perspective that Donald Trump did, but none of our power came to him, and Donald Trump was subject to Jesus Christ. I have concerns with actions already taken. Relating to Christian doctrine and truth that Joe Biden has taken. But nonetheless, he is subject unto Christ. And so when we see these rumors, when we hear these problems, when we even have fear and dread of persecution coming, let's get our eyes off of the people, the movers. Let's acknowledge that there's a roaring lion, an adversary. Let's look to the one who's seated at the right hand of the throne of God and live our lives in humility. The biggest character trait needed to endure persecution is humility. And I'm afraid that's one area that us Americans have a huge problem with. Let's be humble and let us submit ourselves to our great God. And someday when we hear of Christians being used as torches and we're fearful of fiery trials, let us take that fear and put it in the right perspective. Use this manual this handbook, I hate to call it that because it's really more of a relationship, but that's what this manual's telling you about. <laughs> Remember Jesus. Run to him. Trust in him. Rest in him. Follow him. This is not AD 65. But the answer and the solution today is the same as it was Way back then. Great God, we give thanks for this book. And in the coming months as we study it, teach us. Help us to see it in its historical context. But more importantly, help us to see it in our personal context. May we humble ourselves this day, acknowledging our weakness and frailty but also rejoicing in our glorious position we have in you because of you. Father, teach us, humble us, and use us in this world, whether persecution come or be delayed. May we walk with you humbly in faith, trusting you and your faithfulness. We give praise to you as we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.